Morning, family. You're a rowdy bunch this morning, eh? Wow. If your ears are finding it difficult, all the noise, I'm sorry. You know, it's, what can we say? The Lord's moving. Isn't it fantastic? Just to experience the Lord's moving among us. And uh, more, Lord, we say. Just continue to do more. And it really is true that there's so much happening in our community. Last Sunday, we had our first baptism for the year. And if you remember, we had a mass baptism where we gathered the reverb, the evening service, the morning service, everybody together, C4G, and we had a baptism, and there were 45 people that were baptized. If you didn't get there, it was a fantastic day. And uh, we're just going to show you a little video clip just to show you and that you can all share in the moment and what happened. So thanks, guys. Who'd like to be rebaptized? <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> fantastic. Not only is, is the Lord moving in our midst, and we're just hearing many stories of salvations happening, and as you can see there, baptisms, but God is also doing things that is moving our services into other spaces. We have recently just partnered with a, a group that has been started for a while, and first they started in a home, and uh, now they've moved onto our campus, and that is our Latino service that happens on a Sunday. So I don't know if you know this, but we actually have a service that runs on a Sunday here on our campus in Spanish. And I'm going to ask Pastor Luis and Lupita to please come forward. And uh, also those that are joining with them in the service, they've, they've come to join us here today. So they'll quickly just stand where they are and, and uh, so that we can, or they come into the front. Come to the front and come stand here. Everybody wants to see you. And um, just some of them that are here with us this morning. So please come, come, come join me. Everybody else can come stand in the front here so that people can see you, please. Pastor Luis and Lupita. 
They have been long-standing members of our congregation and of our team as associate and volunteer pastors, and they started just connecting with people that are from different Spanish-speaking nations. We have lots of diplomats and, and people that are on diplomatic duties and others that are here, and uh, so they started meeting with them on a regular basis in their home, and that started growing, and then last year we had some conversations with each other about how we can partner together, and so now they have a service every Sunday that runs here. So if you have Spanish-speaking friends that you would just give an option to, please tell them about our service. Same time as what our service here is. It's in the school staff room that they actually meet at this point in time. And as you can see, what a lovely, beautiful bunch of people. So we want to, we just want to really just bless them this morning. So can I ask you to stretch out your hands as I pray from, on behalf of all of us for them. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you have called this church, this body to, to reach the nations, Lord. And what a fantastic thing that we don't even have to go very far. But right here, Lord, we can reach the nations. It's a fantastic thing. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for these believers, Lord, that in, the, in their language and in their cultural way can come and meet with you and experience your presence and be touched by you and that they can be part of us in this space, Lord. And today we want to just bless them. We recognize them as a community, as a growing community, as a congregation, and we bless them. We thank you for Luis and Lupita, Father, for, for who they are, for their leadership, and we bless them also. We speak your anointing over them and over this community, and may you grow them and take them from strength to strength in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hola and amen. Thank you very much. May the Lord bless you. <laughs> Also right now today, the Rayton Church that has been journeying with us for many, many years, we've been also through last year just helping them and getting things set up so that they can fully go autonomous on their own. And this morning, uh, Ben and Pastor Jack is actually with them, at, with their leadership and with their congregation and launching them as a new church on their own that'll still relate to us and still be part of us in, in a relational way, but as a church that's going on their own. So isn't that fantastic how the Lord is just moving in all of these spaces. Um, then we also have a growing congregation of people on YouTube that are joining our services, not only locally, but also from all over the world. And I just wanted to say that, you know, YouTube has this service now where they do translation. And it's not our translation, so it's not 100% accurate, but people in different languages, 120-something languages now, can participate in a service like ours and actually have the subtitles in their own language and understand more or less what we're saying in the church. So isn't that fantastic? And for those of you on YouTube joining us in every part of the world, it's so good that you can be part of our community in, in this way. So isn't that wonderful? Then last thing, just as an announcement from my side, next week we'll be sharing with you just some developments around our, what we used to call life groups. We're actually relaunching them next week. And the pastors will invite you to become part of what we're going to call community groups from now on to fit in with our, our value statement of being a community on a mission. And uh, next week, they're going to tell you all about it, and we will be able to join and sign up because we've had communication from you that sometimes you find it difficult to know how to connect to these smaller groups and our community. So they want to make sure that you have uh, that information and are readily available to you. So wonderful. Lots of things happening here at the church. We are busy with our series entitled Love Revolution. And it's this idea that we want to make sure that we are consistently 
growing in our understanding and our receiving of the love of God so that we can reflect His love and that His love can continue to revolutionize the world in every small corner of our society and in every nation of the earth. And uh, we've been speaking through 1 John 4, and today I'm going to speak about 1 John 4, verse 1 to 6. If you want to turn there so long, it's going to take me a little bit to get to reading it, but that's the portion of Scripture, and the title of today's message is The Truth About Love. Now, I don't know how many of you got the privilege, I think it's a privilege, to have watched this movie that's out. It was a Netflix movie on the two popes, and it's the account of a rare occasion where there are actually two living popes at this point in time. Because what happened, uh, the previous Pope, Pope Benedict, uh, there was the, 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 uh, just some of the problems that the Catholic Church had, and he felt to step down and resign as a Pope, and therefore a new Pope had to be elected, and that's a very rare occasion. I'm not sure, I've, I'm, I didn't check my facts, I think it's only the fourth time that it's happened in the Catholic Church's history, and, uh, but that you have a Pope resign, normally they die in their office, and then a new Pope is elected, the conclave, you know, with the smoke, the black smoke, the white smoke, all of that stuff, but this meant that, that there was actually a Pope handing over to another Pope. So the movie is, I mean, there's not a lot of action in the movie. If you're looking for an action movie, The Two Popes is definitely not for you. I think the most exciting thing happens is when they order pizza. So it's, it's, it's really a conversation that happens. But why I think it's such a good uh, story is not just because of the acting, but what they do in this movie is they actually represent two parts to humanity that we so often struggle with. They, they put one pope to represent the one part that we all love to have in our lives, and then they use the second Pope, Pope Francis, to, to represent the other half that we so like and want to have as part of our lives and that we cannot live without. So Pope Benedict represents justice, truth, doctrine, the, the right way to do things. And Pope Francis, the new Pope, represents humanity, compassion, mercy. And when you see the movie start, the two of them come from complete opposites, they are actually in such a way that they can't have relationship with each other. They, are, they, they disagree fundamentally on so many things. And they, they put this position as if, as if justice and issues of justice and truth is on the one side and issues of mercy and compassion and humanity is completely on the other side. And these two popes don't know how they're going to find each other. But as the movie progresses and through their conversations and them sharing their stories, you see them moving closer and closer to one another. And ultimately, as the handover happens, not all of it is 100% factually correct. It's a dramatization of, of more or less the story of what happened. But as the, as the movie comes to its point, you see how these two popes come together. And they actually form a relationship and a friendship and an agreement. And it feels like the movie is showing us that truth, justice, dogma on the one hand, and mercy and compassion and humanity has a place where it comes together and forms a unit. And that's what I want to share a little bit with you about this morning. The key line of the movie, sort of the quote that it's most, remember, most remembered for is, truth may be vital, but without love it can be unbearable. As a statement that tries to bring these two things that can feel so opposite together. Now let's think about this a little bit in our own experience. Is justice and the things that must be done right and truth, is that important for you? Do you ever cry out for justice? 
Are you ever saying, Lord, those people deserve to be judged and to be punished? Anybody want to own up to that? Okay, if you don't want to, let me talk about state capture for a little bit. <laughs> How many of you, when the power is off and there's load shedding, and you know that the government has owned up to the fact that all of that is really happening because of corruption and state capture, have found yourself thinking, somebody needs to pay for this. Somebody needs to go to prison. How many of you, with SAA and all the things that happened this week, I've got people close to me that work for SAA, goes, somebody needs to own up. We cry for justice. Right now in our nation, there's this cry that as we are uncovering all the nonsense of state capture and all the corruption, there's a rising cry in our nation that says, when is somebody going to get arrested and go to prison for everything they've done? And we will not feel like justice has been served, and we will not feel like something is really being done about it until we have people locked up. Any of you feel that way? We do. Perhaps that's a little bit nebulous, but think of if somebody perpetrated a, some crime against you, stole from you. My mom's house was broken into this week when fortunately she was at a, like a good Christian, she was at cell group. She was at her community group. So she wasn't at home, but they broke in. Man, I want justice. I want justice. We want justice. We cannot live in a world because where there's justice, we feel that there's an opportunity when people are judged and brought to book for what they've done, that it'll serve as a deterrent for others to not do the same thing. We feel that it, that it would be some way that it, that it could address the wrongs, that it could be punishment, that it could bring retribution, and that it could even lead to some people being rehabilitated and, and perhaps our society changing its patterns because it becomes obvious that that is wrong. Therefore, we cry for justice. But we also cry for mercy. Perhaps I'm not quite at the place yet where people that perpetrated state capture, that I'm not yet crying for mercy for them. But as you get to know some of the people that got swallowed up in it and that are in the difficulties and the throes of it, and as I meet people and have conversations and as I get to know, this is not no longer nebulous, faceless people, but people and your stories, then perhaps mercy starts growing in you. Or perhaps when you have committed some, something and you've done something wrong, isn't it that we cry out for mercy also? We can't live in a world where there's only justice. We also want mercy. How many of you remember when you were at school? I was privileged enough to go to school in the days where we still got hidings. Jacks, as we used to call them. I'm saying privileged. I don't know if that was a good idea. How many of you older people can remember not doing your homework or something that got you in trouble? And no matter how you ducked and dived the teacher and try to move between the rows, she's coming down this row, then you sit in this row, and then you jump over to the row where she's just been to try and avoid, I'm not giving you tips or anything, but just, you know, trying to avoid getting punishment, but then you get caught out. And I can remember one so clearly, a, late, a teacher caught me out, I didn't do my homework. And she sent me next door to the male teacher's classroom with a few other of my friends with a note that said judgment has to come. These children need to have something happen that will be a deterrent, that will keep them from not doing their homework again, and that will rehabilitate them. And that normally meant that I'm going to feel it on my backside. So we were standing in that, you remember those little back rooms that the teacher had in the classroom? 
We were sent, he was busy, so we were sent into the back room, and there we were standing. And a prayer cried out from my heart. I started crying to the Lord for mercy. I said, Lord, if today you let me get away with this, if you will show mercy to me, I promise you I'll never, never, never not do my homework again. In fact, Lord, I will become a missionary in a place where there's no running water and no sanitation. I'll never see my family and my friends again. How many of you have ever been in a situation like that? Fortunately, the Lord didn't hear me and I still got my hiding. So I'm not, you know, I have sanitation. But we cry out for mercy. And this is the reality of our lives. This is the reality of our society, of the world we live in today, is that we cry for judgment and then we cry for mercy. And sometimes in the same sentence, in the same moment, we'll be talking about how somebody needs to be judged, whatever our parameters are for judgment. And then we'll turn around and cry out for somebody to experience mercy and compassion. And how do you bring those two together? And, and it's, it's that reality and that dynamic that at this point in time, the world is really struggling with. And we seem to be getting polarized and moving further and further apart from each other in how we think judgment and mercy should be shown. Right now, for instance, in American politics, they can show you graphs and studies they've done over the last 50 years about how the left and the right and the Democrats and the Republicans, they, they each have different sets of what they think deserves judgment and what they think deserves mercy, for instance. Each has that. And there used to be in the, in the past where this, if you sort of took the, the most people, the reasonable center of that, and you plotted it, they were this close to one another, but now they've moved this far from one another. People's Parameters for what deserves judgment and what deserves mercy is getting more and more confused. And we're living in these uncertain times. I, friends of, as I said, I have friends that are in SAA and, and they, they, one of them spoke to me about how the Christian group in SAA that are, that are Christian people, there's a strong Christian community in South African Airways that have prayed and spent a lot of time in prayer and had impromptu prayer meetings over the last while just really praying for the company and how they are wrestling with, Lord, what we, we need justice because our company is not going to survive if this justice is not put into this situation. But Lord, we also know that you call us to forgive and to show compassion and mercy. How do we do that, Lord? People that, whose jobs are on the line are as Christians wrestling with this. It's the reality of our day. So it's in this situation that I want us to go to 1 John 4 and verse 1 to 6. And I'm going to read a couple of verses. I want to recognize a message by Michael Ramsden that I listened to that helped me with preparing this message and... Uh, but in 1 John 4, we read the following. He starts with, with these words. Remember, 1 John 4 is this great chapter about love, written in the context of John as an overseer over churches in the Ephesus area at the end of the first century, which is in a vulnerable place where many are being led away from the faith because some people are telling them lies and, and half-truths. And John is fighting for the faith. He's standing up. He's taking a position of leadership and, and almost as a warrior standing and saying, no. These things are not right. And he starts with these words. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Good advice for our days. As much as we would like to live in a world where we can say, oh, everybody needs to be listened to. Everybody needs to get, you know, has truth. You know, we talk about my truth. 
and your truth. I heard it on the radio the other day. They, they were asking the question and they said, you know, what is a gentleman nowadays? And one of the DJs said, a gentleman is a person that stands in their own truth. And I go, what a lot of nonsense. So I can be a gentleman if my truth is looking down on somebody and, and, and enforcing my, myself on somebody else, then I'm a gentleman because that's my truth. What nonsense. We say these nice little statements nowadays, but John cuts through it all and he says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe everything that cries out. Do not believe everything that shouts and says that it is the truth. It is not the truth. Just because it shouts the loudest and the most regular and has the best sound bites, it doesn't mean it's the truth. Do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He speaks this in a particular context that those churches were struggling with, but I think we can apply it very broadly. There are those going into the world proclaiming truths, so-called truth, half-truths, Lies masquerading as truth to deceive people and to draw them away from, from what is right. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Remember I said last time, last week, the struggle they were having is there were many that were now saying, yes, Jesus did come to earth and the Messiah did come to earth, but it wasn't really God in bodily form. It was God that came and sort of looked like he was a man, but he wasn't really a man. Or well, the Spirit temporarily came on the man Jesus to make him Christ, but he, it wasn't really God in human form. And John says, whenever you see people telling you that, know that they are lying, they are false prophets. Don't believe them. In fact, he says, and we'll read it next week, he says, don't even invite them into your homes. So he's quite clear there's something that is wrong and there's something that is right. Those that proclaim that Jesus is the Christ that came in bodily form, those are the ones you, worth, you can listen to because they have the truth. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So he puts central to truth Jesus and who Jesus is. He says, if you want to know tr truth, you've got to know Jesus. And didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? So for us, truth is not a doctrine, it's a person. It's embodied by Jesus, but we'll have a look at that just now. But the reality is, we live in these uncertain times. We live in these times where, where it becomes so difficult to know. And particularly when it comes to these two dynamics of, of truth, justice on the one side and mercy and compassion on the other side. We, we find it so growingly difficult to know how do you bring those two together. There's confusion that abounds. I think... That, that confusion is captured really well in a song that was performed by the Black Eyed Peas, the big prophets of our days, the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> the song was entitled, Where is the Love? Let me read you some of the lyrics of the song, Where is the Love? I'm not going to rap it or sing it, so, you know, I'm just going to read. But as I get the beat, I may, you know, never mind. What's... <laughs> they write the following. It's not everything from the song, but just some of it. What's wrong with the world, mama? People living like they ain't got no mamas. I think the whole world's addicted to the drama. Only attached to the things that'll bring a trauma. People killing, people dying. Children hurt, and you hear them crying. Can you practice what you preach? 
And would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us. Send some guidance from above. Caused people to get, got, get, caused people got me, got me questioning, where is the love? Where is the love? Where is the love? Where is the love, the love, the love? It just ain't the same. Old ways have changed. New days are strange. Is the world insane? Is, if love and peace is so strong, why are there pieces of love that don't belong? So I could ask, so I could ask myself, really, what is going wrong? In this world that we're living in, people, people keep on giving in, making wrong decisions, only visions of them dividends, not respecting each other, deny the, thy brother. A war is going on, but the reason's undercover. The truth is kept secret and swept under the rug. If you never know truth, then you never know love. Where's the love, y'all? Come on. Where's the truth, y'all? Come on. Where's the love, y'all? Yo, whatever happened to the values of humanity? Whatever happened to the fairness and equality? Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity. Lack of understanding leading us away from unity. Leading us away from unity. I think they capture it so well when they say this. The truth is kept secret and swept under the rug. If you never know truth, then you never know love. Even in this song, they're striving for that unity between compassion and justice. And how do you bring those two together? And they're recognizing that our world is going crazy because we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to bring unity in this world. Let's read on John, 1 John 4, verse 4 to 6. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. You cannot separate justice and mercy. If you want to know the love of God, you have to know justice and mercy. But we so struggle. We so struggle in our lives to figure out how these two belong together. There's a great story in the scripture that becomes a representation of our struggle. It's the story of the minor prophet Jonah. How many of you remember the story of Jonah? Jonah was a guy, a prophet, and God speaks to Jonah and God says to Jonah, Jonah, I need you to go to the city of the Ninevites and to go tell them that they have sinned against me and if they repent, if they, if they repent I will forgive them. If they don't, I'm going to judge them. Now, the Ninevites was particularly hated by the Israelites in 700 before Christ. They ransacked Jerusalem, and they actually destroyed most parts of Jerusalem and killed many of the Jewish people. They were known in the time as a particularly violent people. The way they treated the nations that they conquered was despicable. They, they, act, they, they did great acts of violence. Even in Nahum 3, verse 1, Nahum is another one of the minor prophets. It says, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The city of the Ninevites were hated because of their fierceness, their, their violence, and their destruction. God says to Jonah, a Jewish man, a Hebrew man, I need you to go to those people and give them a message that if they repent, I will forgive them. Jonah says, no way. No way. If I do that and those guys repent, my family is going to kill me. 
My community is going to turn their backs on me. How will these people feel if those people repent and you forgive them? That is not righteous. That is not justice, Lord. Those people deserve your judgment. They do not deserve your forgiveness. So what does Jonah do? He gets on a boat. And instead of going to Nineveh, he goes to Tarshish, the other way. And he says, there's no way I'm doing this. But how many of you know you cannot escape God? If he's called you, if he sent you, he's got a GPS tracker on you. You know, he's got to find my friend. Like I check my children wherever they are through my phone. God's got to find my friend. And if you signed a friendship agreement with God, you gave him the rights to say, find my friend. And he looks and he says, ah, Jonah's on the ocean, sort of on his way to Spain, that area. Oh, that's fantastic. Fortunately, I've got an agent that I can send to deal with this problem. So God whips up a storm. You know, the whole story happens. They eventually throw Jonah overboard, and God sends a fish, a big fish. And the fish swallows Jonah. There's Jonah in the belly of the whale. I don't want to go to Tarshish, to Nineveh, Lord. I'm, no, I'm not the man. But the fish starts working on him. You know, there's nothing like the belly of a fish to soften you up. <laughs> so the stomach juices starts working on him, you know. Only food left for him to eat is rotten fish that is decaying. He's part of the food now. It's not a great place to be. So eventually he breaks and he says, okay, Lord, I'm so sorry. I forgive. And he starts praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord. The Lord says, okay, are we going to start again? You ready to do what I told you to do? Okay, Lord. So the fish swims. Guess where the fish goes? To the city of Nineveh. So there you are, one bright sunny afternoon. You got your swimming clothes on. You've, you've put some factor 50 on your skin. You're lying on your towel on the beach outside of Nineveh. Just chilling, just relaxing. You know, just enjoying, eating an ice cream. And then there's this little bit of a commotion out in the sea, and you sit up and you look at the sea, and there's a whale going. <coughs> He's got something in his stomach that no longer agrees with him, that needs to get delivered. So the whale sort of swims, and he comes close to the beach, and he goes. <coughs> Sorry for that. I won't repeat that. And he spews out Jonah, sort of out into the shallow waters probably. And there you are, you're looking at this, and here comes a man walking out of the sea. Seaweed wrapped around his head. A fish sort of half hanging on his ear. You know, half-eaten fish. He smells horrible. I mean, he smells like death warmed up. He is just terrible. He's bleached. He's as white as anything from the stomach juices. And this man comes walking, and he looks at you, and he says, Repent! <laughs> what are you going to do? I think you pack up your towel, you run into the city, and you start shouting, repent. Judgment has come. So Jonah walks the city, and he shouts, repent. And guess what happens? Just what he feared. The Ninevites go, yes, we are wrong. God, forgive us for our sin. Now, man. Any preacher, any prophet that is sent by God with a message of the love and the grace of God to a city and the city repents, I mean, that's fantastic. That's what you live for. I mean, you put it on Instagram. You share it on Facebook. You invite everybody in the area. Revival is broken out in Nineveh. Not Jonah. Jonah 4 verse 1 tells us the following. Jonah speaks and, and he's in this state. This change of plans 
greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew, now listen to this, I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, God. What an indictment against God. I knew you are merciful and compassionate, God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. How terrible you are, God. I knew you were like that. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Whoa. Jonah literally says, I cannot live in a world where you forgive people that have done wrong against me. Woo. Before we judge Jonah too harshly, perhaps you've never been in the, fit, in the belly of a whale, but I can promise you there's been times in your life where you've said, Lord, how dare you forgive them? You see, God's problem is he thinks he's God. And so that even when people sin against me, God thinks he has the right to forgive them, even if I haven't forgiven them. Because then David write and said, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. Sin is, first of all, a personal offense against a personal God that can forgive. So God is compassionate. But you see, we struggle with that. We find with it when his compassion is shown to me. But when his compassion is shown to people that in our judgment really does not deserve compassion, we struggle with it because we don't know how to bring judgment and compassion together. We struggle. But I want you to join me as we lift up our eyes and we look just a little bit past Jerusalem and we see a little hill that looks like a skull. And on top of that hill, we see a cross. And on that cross, we see a man hanging, beaten to death, tortured for his life. And we recognize that that man is Jesus who is God that came in the form of, a, of the flesh, who never sinned, who never did anything wrong, and came and died for our sin. And when we see the cross, we find the unity between judgment and compassion. Because the cross is a symbol of judgment as much it is, as it is a, a symbol of mercy. And because it is both a symbol of judgment and a symbol of mercy, it is therefore the greatest symbol of love that has ever happened in the universe. Because love is where judgment and mercy comes together. You see, because Jesus, why did Jesus have to die on the cross such a horrible death? Because our sin demands justice. Our offense is real. Our sin is really terrible. And it really is against the personal God that is holy, that hates sin, and that made a law that says if you sin, you will die. And so every one of us in our sin really deserves everlasting damnation. We deserve to burn in the fires of hell for all eternity. But like Jonah says, God loves to find a way. So God said, I have to and I will address the demands of justice. I will do what justice requires. So he sent his son. Jesus, in fact, volunteered, but Jesus came. And on that day, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, the Father said, this will serve as the payment for every sin. This will be where judges, judgment will be spent. 
So he took every sin that has ever happened and will ever be committed by any human being and he collected it and he brought it together and he placed it on that innocent man who never sinned in his own right, who was never guilty of any failing against God's holiness. But God said, I will put the judgment of all mankind on you. And in that moment when Jesus cried, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? The judgment of God was poured out. And justice was served. No one can turn around and say, Lord, that person committed a sin against me. And that sin was not addressed. God will just point to the cross. And say, I did not just pardon that sin. I didn't just say to that person, you are forgiven. Just, I, 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 I caused payment for that sin. That sin is forgiven because it was paid for by the cross. On the cross, that sin was paid for. But not only did judgment happen that day, but when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Mercy was poured out on that cross. And in that moment, when God satisfied the needs of judgment, of judgment He made open compassion. He showed us compassion. Do you know what the word compassion means? The word compassion in its original language means this. It means to see a wrong. It is a moral quality. It is to see something that is wrong, that is detestable, that is horrible, and then to do something about it. To see somebody suffering because of something that was wrong, that was done, and then to go and change the circumstances and to do something about it. God didn't just see our sin and say, it's horrible, it's terrible. He didn't start a Twitter campaign like we do. He didn't complain. He didn't talk aloud about how bad people are and how sinful people are. And he didn't just, you know, because if you just see a wrong and talk about it, you are moralizing. You are not showing compassion. In our day and age, we think just because I've put something on Facebook or Instagram and, and exposed some wrong, I've actually now done something. Yeah, we haven't. It's when you do something. So God said, I see the wrong, and I'm going to do something about it. His compassion, his love drove him to say, I will find a way to show mercy to you. So that when I come before the cross, and I kneel before the cross, God says, my mercy is poured out over you. Your sins has been forgiven. Worship team, you guys can join me. Your sins has been forgiven. And my mercy has been poured out. You see, as a Christian, you have a fantastic reality. The world may be struggling with how to bring judgment and, and compassion together. The people you're having conversations with right now are uncertain. In your workplace, your friends, your varsity, your classrooms that you go to, wherever you have, you, people are uncertain. They're calling for judgment on the one hand, and then they're calling for mercy, and they run like between the two like crazy people. They are uncertain. When John wrote this epistle, he wrote in a time of uncertainty, and that's why he used the word to know more than 20 times, I think 27 or 28 times. He used the word confidence many times in the scripture, if you read it, because he was saying to us as Christians, you can know the unity between justice and compassion. And therefore, you can be confident. 
Do you know that tomorrow this time, when you're at work and people are talking about state capture and SAA and, and people are crying for justice, that you can, and then on, they turn around and then they cry for compassion and you don't know how they're bringing the two together, you can stand up and say, let me point to you the place where justice and compassion will forever have come together. And it is because of that cross that Jesus is the only one that is worthy of having the nations bow before him. He's the only place of hope for the nations to come to that will both address the needs of justice for the sins and the horrible things that people do to one another, but at the same time has the ability to give mercy to people. Because like I said last week, God is love. So God is just and God is merciful. He cannot operate in any other way. He brings the two to He is the great unity and the great unifier. Therefore, last year we ended our year on these verses. And that's why these verses are so true. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness and as black as night covers all the nations of the earth. But the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. The radiance they will see is the presence of Christ. That says your sin has been addressed. Justice has been met. But mercy has been poured out. And therefore in Revelations Sorry, in Revelations 15, verse 4, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The scripture tells us that at the end of times, when the great judgment happens, when God's judgment passes over every human being that has ever lived across the expanse of the human race, that no man will stand up and say, I got a raw deal. Everybody will declare, your judgment is righteous and your judgment is correct. Because God cannot but do that because that's what his love is. Now you and I live under the blood of Christ. If you've received the sacrifice of Christ, if you have appropriated that, if you've said, Lord, I'm a sinner, I deserve judgment, but you've come to Christ and you've fallen on your knees and you've said, Lord, forgive me for my sin, then that sin is covered by the blood of Christ and you receive the compassion of God. And so it is for all mankind. God's justice is restorative. Man's justice is punishment. At best what it can do is serve as a deterrent. And as best what it can do is it can cause people to say, oh, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to go to prison or I don't want to die or something. But God's justice restores us to the place that he originally intended for us to be. You can go into this world and say truth and mercy is the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be overcome by justice, but will receive eternal mercy and grace. Aren't you glad we live on this rock, this foundation? Won't you stand with me? I want to firstly give an opportunity for people this morning. If you've never confessed your sin to the Lord Jesus, 
Or perhaps you did it so long ago, but you know that you have wandered away from Him so far. This morning is an opportunity where you can come to the cross, symbolically come to the cross. As you come forward, you come and you say, Lord, thank you for the cross. And I need the cross. I need to come to that place where my sin is judged so that it can be forgiven. As we pray, Lord, I pray just by the moving of your spirit that you would bring a release in people's hearts this morning of your kingdom that'll come, the kingdom of love, the kingdom, this revolution of the love of God in people's hearts. Come Holy Spirit. Right now, I want to invite you, and before I pray another prayer, just as I pray this prayer even, just come to the front. If you want to come and commit your life to Jesus and say, Lord, I need your salvation. I need you to forgive my sins and restore me to the place that I can be a child of yours. Come, our team will meet with you and they'll be ready to pray with you and just come and tell them, I've come to give my heart to Jesus. I want to give those people first opportunity, so come right now. Won't you in faith just applaud anybody that wants to come this morning and just say... When the service ends, anybody else is welcome to come forward for prayer. Our pastors, our elders, our team will be here to pray for you. Any need that you have, this is an atmosphere of faith. As we sang earlier, God is a way maker. He can do. There's nothing we can put before Him that is beyond Him. But can I ask that in this moment we just end with a word of prayer. And then I'm going to ask the team to lead us in a song, but I'm going to end the service as we sing. And if you want to stay a little bit because God's moving among us and we want to give Him space. Just continue to be with us for a little bit, or otherwise you're welcome to go, fetch your children, and may the Lord bless you in this week. But let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for truth, that you are the truth. And there's no lie in you, and we cannot escape your truth. And we will stand accountable before your truth. Let no man be mocked. Let no man be deceived we will hold and be held accountable by the truth. But thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, for your grace, for your compassion. Thank you, Lord, that you are slow to anger. Thank you that you have forgiven us. You have forgiven me, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, and we pray for a move of your, of your Spirit in our time and in our city where the cross of Christ is central to everything we do so that we can have a love revolution where judgment and mercy comes together. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence among us. Thank you that each of us can go now when we leave this place and we go in the knowledge of your presence that is with us and that you love me and that I can reflect your love to others and give hope to a world that desperately needs hope and give answers to a people that are struggling and not knowing what is right from wrong. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remember, if you've got a cup, you want to just find out more about our community to come on my right-hand side, your left behind the screen there. Please, if you can, let's just worship the Lord for a moment and, and just love on Him for a little bit longer. He deserves it so much. Thank you, Chris.